Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is Welcome back to another episode of the Fire Tom Herman Podcast, your overreaction... Wait, what? Oh, shit! Welcome back to the We Did It Podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. Tom Herman announced this morning, fired by the University of Texas. CDC put out a statement, the university put out a statement. Uh, So we're just going to dive into this with no real plan. Originally, we were going to talk about the bowl game, but this is changed everything we'll probably still come around to the bowl game i'm sure but the big news today tom herman officially out don't know much else other than it seems like it's gonna be steve sarkeesian but noah just just tell me welcome to 21 for 2021 first of all but i mean what are you what are your first thoughts just lay it on me oh man i woke up this morning i had breakfast I went to my computer, I <laughs> slept in a little bit, and then suddenly I find out that Herman was fired half an hour ago. Um, and yeah, it was just absolutely crazy. Kind of shocking, to be completely honest. Like you said, CDC and the university have already put out statements. So it, it was a very quick move by the university. There wasn't any sort of leak. Like You didn't have all these insiders for the past weekend. Like, hey, we expect Herman to be let go. There wasn't any of that. It was just, boom, Herman's fired. Um, Chip Brown immediately broke that Sark is expected to be the next head coach. Um, you know, we're still kind of awaiting confirmation right now, but all signs do point that way. Um, so quick I mean, moves here in the at, new year. At least enough signs are pointing that way to where I've gone through. I've made the new podcast cover. I've renamed the Twitter account. I've renamed the Instagram account. So if it's not going to be Sark, I at least know how to use Photoshop well enough to be able to just undo it yeah uh the latest thing right before we started recording is david pollock i think tweeted out that he's heard that sark turned us down and i think the one thing objectively worse than hiring steve sarkisian as your head coach is getting rejected by steve sarkisian to be your head coach um so hopefully you didn't waste 15 minutes of your time there (laughs) yeah yeah i mean luckily i'd been sort of kicking around some stuff so i i had the majority of the hard work done it's just a simple text swap or whatever so it wouldn't cause us too many problems but it's still annoying a little bit but yeah i mean i think there's a a section of the fan base that's super pumped about steve sarkeesian which i mean i can understand if you're just looking at what he's done at alabama as offensive coordinator Uh, that gives you a lot of hope for being able to weaponize our offense use guys like casey thompson like Bijan robinson like jordan whittington jake smith really involve them in the offense the way that Alabama's offense has been opened up with Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator. But man, there's so many questions related to his head coaching stuff, his well-documented struggles with alcoholism, uh, his reported sobriety, and how he's going to handle the pressures of being at Texas. Like, yeah, he was the head coach at USC, but it also all fell apart at USC because of him, his own personal demons and whether or not you buy in that he's really overcome those already. Yeah, I... So, let's just tackle alcoholism stuff really, really quick. I don't think it has to be a dominating headline. Um, For a long time, I actually expected myself to work in the field of recovery. Um, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but I've interned at multiple rehab facilities. Um, I've... uh, 
like a couple of them kind of all over the state of Texas. Um, I've done a lot of work in the area, um, like throughout school and kind of grad school. Uh, and what I will say just to start off is that I, I think a lot of times people can go in to rehab and come out a completely different person. And usually it's a completely better person. Now I'll also say that alcoholism is extremely difficult to manage and it is a lifelong struggle. Like it's not something where um, you go in and you come out and you're cured. It's, it's, um, it's a disease and it's something that people are gonna struggle with for all their lives, but with the right support system and with the right commitment um, and actually going through it properly, then I think a lot of people can come out better than they were before and they can come out with, I think, a lot more maturity and responsibility and oftentimes, um, like I, so I don't know what Sark went through. I don't know what his rehab and recovery process was like, but I know that a lot of people that, co- that go through the 12-step program, you know, a lot of that really is uh, tackling inner demons. Um, it really forces you to take personal responsibility, to be accountable for your actions, uh, to reach out to all the people that you've um, harmed throughout your life and stuff. So it can be a really good process. Like, I think that anybody could benefit from going through the 12-step program, (laughs) regardless of whether you're an alcoholic. It's just kind of a healthy thing to do. Um, So assuming that he went through all that, I can definitely see a world in which he comes out as even a better coach than he was beforehand. Um, So that's not something that I'm going to hold against him unless it becomes a problem at Texas. Yeah, and I guess I'm not holding it against him that he has that history of alcoholism but it is acknowledging that that is a risk. I mean, you did say mm-hmm. a lot of times people can come out better, but that's it. Like, like with any sort of mental illness or anything like that, it's a tricky thing to manage. Um, and by this change of scenery, the change of the pressure that comes with being a head coach uh, in general, opposed to an offensive coordinator, uh, much less a head coach at a blue blood, much less a head coach with all of the ridiculous responsibilities that the university of Texas fo- head football coach has um there's a lot of questions about how anyone will handle that never mind someone who does have that in their past how hard it, how much harder is that to manage um mm-hmm. given this wild change in in his job status yeah and that that is all 100% completely fair because uh, like i said it is a lifelong thing and some people will go you know a decade two decades and then relapse and then not never be able to quite get back on track um so yeah, it's absolutely something that I can understand as a concern, um, but I also am not going to like label him a failure until it becomes an issue, right? Um, so I, I think that the first couple of years are going to be really important for him. The university actually does have pretty good resources um, for addiction, like they have a there's a um, I don't know if it's a department, but there's some sort of like program specifically for students that are struggling with addiction. Um, so I assume that CDC and everybody else involved in the hire did their homework (laughs) and actually came out with like a plan to support Sark. Uh, I think that one of the more level-headed takes that I've heard is from a mutual friend of ours that said, everybody deserves a second chance, but Texas is not a place that is conducive (laughs) to um, being that second chance. Uh, But you know, neither is NFL offensive coordinators or Alabama's OC position. so that's kind of where I'm at. That's not something that I, I don't know. It's just not something that I'm immediately going to chalk up as a reason to, 
I don't know. It's just, it's tricky because I can understand why you would dislike the hire because it's an extra concern. It's an extra level of liability, right? But um, it's not something I'm going to immediately hold against him, I guess, is where I'm going with it. Right. Yeah. I mean... I'm not going to hate on the man because of it. I'm not going to dislike him as a coach because of it. But I can understand how it's a concern in the process of the hire. I think that's the best way I can put it. Right. That, that being a concern in the process of the hire. And then for me, mentally, at least, when I pair that with looking back at his time at Washington and at USC, and admittedly could be side effects of the, the struggle with, with the alcohol and everything else, um, wasn't exactly like making it rain, wasn't exactly blowing the world up um, during his time as a head coach at Washington and USC. Yes, Washington was terrible in the years before. I think I saw something that in the five years before Steve Sarkeesian was the head coach um, at Washington, they had won 12 total games. Sark takes over, they win five games the first year, and every year after that, they're bowl eligible. Seven and six to eight and four, I think, before Sarkeesian left to take the job at USC. So he did build that program up to be better than what the predecessors had, but he never really took them to that next level. He got them back to being respectable, but it was never that point where... Washington felt like a threat until after he left and Washington brought on Chris Peterson and then Washington was back to being Washington. Yeah, the funny thing about people hating on his record at Washington is, like you said, they were terrible, but you don't get hired as the head coach at USC if you're doing a bad job at Washington, right? Like, I can understand what you're saying. He's never won. I don't know if he's ever won a conference. Um, Yeah, yeah, never won a conference, never won a New Year's Six game. I can understand that, that he hasn't achieved at the highest level like in some ways Herman's resume was better than him with that Peach Bowl win um, but the idea that like he was a bad coach or a failure at Washington doesn't really sit with me because why would USC have hired him although I mean USC has made some poor hires but <laughs> it's I don't know that, that's not something that I see as a, as a negative against him yeah yeah I mean yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens but it it's not something that inspires a ton of confidence at the very least. You look through his history and you don't immediately go. It's, it's not as flashy, obviously, as the ridiculous Urban Meyer rumors. As fun as they were to follow online, um, still wildly unrealistic that that was ever going to happen. But um, it's, it's not that flashy. It doesn't have that. He's proved it already at the highest level. Um, he still has a lot to prove, and I think that's something that makes people nervous, especially going from uh, Tom Herman, who succeeded at the highest level as an offensive coordinator, and at least it, at some point in his past, did have success as a head coach, even if it was fleeting for that first year at Houston. It makes people feel like we're sort of retreading old ground by doing the same thing. Yep, he's never built a champion. And he certainly hasn't done it at multiple stops. Like, we know that's something that CDC likes to look for is success at multiple places. Um, and Sark doesn't have that. And that's what we want, right? So there's a very real reason to kind of tap the brakes there. Um, but I will say the I'm pretty indifferent on the hire right now. Maybe indifferent is not right. I'm pretty neutral because <laughs> I very much do care about it. Um, but I think that the thing that will kind of be the deciding factor for me here as to whether I'm going to give it, you know, an A or an F is his staff choices. Um, And I think that you look at some of the big names that Texas has been after, like Urban Meyer, Brian Kelly, and you kind of trust that those guys are going to hire good staffs. 
Um, but for Sark coming into Texas, a place where you can get anybody and a place where he doesn't have any connections, he's never coached in Texas before, uh, regardless, like you, he's, he's reportedly a really good recruiter and a really great offensive mind, but that stuff doesn't translate to building a championship roster like we're expecting and like we're hoping for unless you're able to get in and really recruit at Texas high school football players, right? Like that's just a necessary part of the job. Um, so I think his staff choices will be really interesting to see how they play out. Um, how much is he going to be able to keep from Herman? Because I think you and I and most of our listeners can agree that there are some guys on this staff currently that we really like and would really like to see st- stick around. Um, so how does he handle the current staff? And then also, who does he bring along with him? Because we can also agree there are some guys that we don't want to keep around. Um, so how that plays out, I think, is going to be a really important metric for me on how I grade the hire. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people already on Twitter sort of stumping for coaches to keep around, um, support players. staff to keep around. Yeah, players have been on there. A lot of the defensive players especially um, have really been calling to keep the entire defensive staff effectively. Um, there have been... They've, been some rumblings about whether or not Jay Valai has been working out, but I mean, basically everyone else on that defensive staff is pretty well loved. A lot of the offensive staff is pretty well loved. I know Jordan Whittington specifically said he wanted to see Stan Drayton kept around and wanted to see um, Andre, Andre Coleman. Coleman. Coleman and Hand are probably the two on the offensive side that people would be most displeased with um, if we held on to them. I feel like Herb Hand more than any of the other offensive assistants is most certain to not be coming back. Um, especially with the, with the coaching change, but yeah, it, it, like with every head coach hire, it comes down to who does he bring along? Who is he able to get, uh, to round out his staff basically. Yeah. And Steve Sarkeesian through his career, the one thing that he has consistently been good at is he has always been an extremely good recruiter. That has been sort of his calling card is his ability to recruit. And if that is something that he's able to bring to the table, you would hope that extends past just being the uh, on the couch in the living room of some high school kid and that he's a good recruiter of other coaches. Working with Alabama, working with Nick Saban has opened a lot of those doors, I think. That gives him access to a lot of people that he probably wouldn't have otherwise had access to. And I think you saw that with Mike Loxley when he left to become the head coach at Maryland. Um, He had access to guys that otherwise wouldn't have followed him to Maryland if it wasn't for that Alabama connection. So I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about the staff. I think there's a lot of reasons to want to stick with certain people on the staff. Um... This could be an instance where if Sarkeesian comes in, if he wants to keep calling plays and everything like that, Mike Yersich could stick around as the QB coach. Who knows? I mean, I mean, there's a, a lot of doors, a lot of questions still to be answered about what a staff with Steve Sarkeesian looks like if he is indeed the guy at the end of the day. Yeah, and just as a little bit of context for anybody that doesn't know, um, as the offensive coordinator at Alabama this year... <laughs> Alabama, and again, some of this is Bama, right, in the Saban pool and the offensive line coach pool. But Alabama signed from the state of Texas Tommy Brockermeyer, um, JoJo Earl, uh, Jalen Milrow, um, James Brockermeyer, Jaden Roberts, all of whom are four stars and above, a couple of five stars, uh, and they have a hard commit from Kamar Wheaton. So those are six guys from the state of Texas that are going to Alabama next year. 
Um, so SAR can at least get into the state. Um, and, you know, hopefully those are the type of guys that he'll be able to bring to Texas in the future. Let's see. Well, here, here's a development that might support it. Brian Davis, Austin American Statesman reporter, three minutes ago just tweeted, as of this moment, Texas is planning a Zoom call press conference today with the new coach, still expected to be Sark. So uh, obviously it's the early afternoon as we're recording. Um, so we'll see if that actually comes to fruition, but it's enough to where the Austin American Statesman is putting something out. Typically, Austin American Statesman or 24-7, at least in the CDC era, has sort of been the mouthpiece. If CDC wants some news out there, he tells them. It gets passed along to those guys. So if Brian Davis is saying it and he's one of the early ones on it, that could be true. So we could know by the time this podcast is actually fully ed uh, recorded, edited, uploaded um, this afternoon, that Steve Sarkeesian is a for-sure thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, by the time that the pod is up, it might be confirmed. Or, yeah. you know, the pod will go up and then shortly after they'll announce, I don't know, some some random. I was trying to think of who would Texas fans absolutely hate. And Tom it's Herman it, is back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we post the pod and then immediately Texas announces that Tom Herman has returned. Yeah. Now, now that we've spent 15 minutes talking about Steve Sarkeesian, it feels certain that it won't be Sark. Hey, at least... You know, from our side of things, we were going to record last night, and then we ended up deciding to record today. Uh, and good thing, because <laughs> I know, because otherwise, you'll just be listening about our bowl breakdown, and who cares about that? Yeah, we would have posted that. You would have opened that this morning and been wondering, what the fuck? Why aren't they talking about the coaching change? Here we are, coaching mm -hmm. change. Um, but uh, with that, let's get in a little bit to that uh, bowl game because that's ultimately, if it's Sarkeesian or the next guy. We saw flashes of a lot of the young talent that he's going to be working with. Bijan Robinson, not his coming out party because he had his coming out party really against Kansas State, but um, or arguably even West Virginia. But another huge game from him, explosive. Another extremely frustrating game for Texas fans because Bijan got like a dozen total touches in the entire game despite that explosiveness. Um, Sam Ellinger plays the first half, really doesn't look all that impressive. Casey Thompson comes in to start the second half due to the injury. Um, and it all just goes... I mean, basically, it, it the game went from a close game. It was 17-10 to 10 at halftime and ends up being 55-23 to 23 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of Texas fans is, uh, were especially impressed because to this point, it, it's not that we've never seen Casey Thompson play, but to this point, it had been garbage time stuff. We barely let him throw the ball, didn't really get him to run the offense. So Casey Thompson, a lot of that excitement about what he might be able to do was based on just projection. We didn't really know what he was capable of. Yes, CU was wildly overmatched, but I thought Casey Thompson looked extremely impressive, extremely sharp. I mean, eight completed passes, four touchdown passes. Uh, he did have one really bad throw that honestly should have been a pick six, but luckily CU's defenders can't catch apparently but i mean casey thompson if if you did not go into that game if you were like me like extremely 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 skeptical of what casey thompson might offer that might make everything better that or that or not make everything better but that should calm a lot of nerves and give you a lot of hope for a post sam ellinger texas mm -hmm. yeah it, okay casey thompson played well he made good throws. I 
am not going to put too much stake into it. Um, he's... Okay, I'll put it this way. There's a lot of people, I think, that are way overreacting. Like, there are a lot of people that are now like, see, we should have been starting Casey Thompson this season, or like, Casey Thompson will be better than Sam next year. And I get that Sam struggled this year, but if you take Casey Thompson's performance, Sam has probably had 15 to 20 games that were just as good or better than what Casey Thompson did in this one. Like, yes, he made some good throws. A couple of his throws were a little bit underthrown or off the mark, but obviously he can get away with that in college, especially against an opponent like Colorado. Um, like, the big Kelvante Dixon touchdown was Kelvante running past their second string backup linebacker. Like, it, it wasn't like he was lighting up an elite defense. Um, he wasn't having to go through a ton of progressions. He only actually threw the ball 10 times. He did have one really nice run where I think he did show off the biggest difference between him and Sam is his, his speed where he was able to pick up um, like 15 yards on a Sam or on a run where Sam probably gets like eight. Uh, but it's still a matter of can Casey actually translate that to a full season to doing more than 10 passes, right? I thought that his most impressive throw was the one where he kind of stayed in the pocket, kept his eyes up, and saw Brewer behind defenders. It wasn't a direct throw. He put nice touch to get it over the defense into uh, K. Brewer's arms. So, yeah, I, th- I thought there were lots of positives, but it's also not something I'm going to run away with here. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't go through and say, like, oh, my God, he's going to win the Heisman next year, um, even though if Sarkeesian is as good as advertised as an offensive coordinator, Casey Thompson should run away with the Heisman. <laughs> but... Um, I, I would just say for a guy that you haven't seen play really at all, his level of play was much higher than you would have expected. Yeah, and um, I think especially his his confidence was a lot better. That was the biggest thing to me. Like I know that he is, um, let's see, this is his third year, right? So I know that he's a third-year guy. He's a veteran. He's not a rookie or an underclassman like a lot of backup quarterbacks are. But just the fact he came in and was willing to attack downfield and throw the ball confidently, and like not all of his throws were wide open. He was willing to take throws into tight windows. That's probably the most encouraging thing, just to kind of see his poise, um, because that's kind of, I think, the biggest adjustment for a lot of talented quarterbacks that come in and can throw the ball or run really well is it's a matter of adjusting the speed of the game. But Thompson came in right away and looked at home. Um, so I think that that is probably the, the most encouraging development. There's always that question when the backup comes in, and backups, backup quarterbacks will tell you every like until they're blue in the face about how they prepare just like they're going to start every single game. And really, until they actually go in and have to play and take legitimate snaps like Casey Thompson did, where it was a still a competitive game when he came in, until that actually happens, you don't know whether or not they actually are um, whether or not they actually are prepared like they claim to be prepared. And I think that speaks positively to, at the very least, Mike Yurcich's coaching, that Casey Thompson came in and did look as prepared as he was. Uh, even if they talked about Yurcich simplifying the playbook a little bit for Casey Thompson, it wasn't like he simplified it to just be those little dink and dunk passes. I mean, Casey was spinning it. He was going downfield. They gave him the trick play with the uh, Bijan screen that looked not wildly different from Sam Cosme's touchdown run against West Virginia last year had a similar sort of structure to it um so it wasn't like they just gave him like hand the ball off dump this into the flat this that and the other thing like he went downfield the the uh, commentators even remarked on it multiple times they're like holy shit this kid is not afraid they're having him launch it 
and Thompson, he's always had really nice velocity on the ball and a really nice spin. He doesn't get the ball up a ton, but like he slings it. <laughs> and that's kind of been apparent since like the, the spring game of his freshman year that he can throw darts. Um, and that's what he did. So um, that was really good. And I, I watched his post-game interview, and kind of like you were talking about, he's talking about how you know he always prepares. And um, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, since Herman came here, for some reason our backups actually have been good. Sam was the backup. He was poised. Then Shane was the backup, and he was poised. Now Thompson. Um, so I know that you said credit Yurcich, and I do think that they're – is credit to your search for the reason that you said, but I'll also give some uh, some praise to the departed Tom Herman. Um, you don't have to give him praise. He's fired now. You can <laughs> talk shit all you want. Right. Well, it's just, access anyway. It's kind but. of funny just going back to his days at Ohio State, right? Like the backups have always been ready to step in and, and be poised and prepared. So, um, yeah, I, I, I certainly can understand the excitement for Casey Thompson, and I will certainly indulge myself and some of that Casey Thompson hype for next year um, because he really can be a dynamic guy that can stretch the defense in multiple ways. If you have a guy that can throw the ball downfield and run with his speed, that's a lot of stress on the defense in all sorts of different directions. Yeah, and that, that was something that I I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but I know it at least shared privately, um, was a little bit of disappointment uh in during the season about if we lose tom herman if we get rid of tom herman it'll be sad to not get a chance to see him at texas with a more dynamic quarterback sam's got all the leadership um, but ultimately when he runs the ball he's a power runner he's a running threat but he's not like a break it off and he's gonna rip a 50 yard touchdown run or something for himself i was looking forward to seeing what could happen uh with a more athletic guy like a a faster guy like Hudson Card like Casey Thompson both of those guys are significantly shiftier than than Sam neither one of those guys is going to be someone I expect to drop the shoulder and try and go through a linebacker at the goal line like Sam did his freshman year against Kansas State but like like you said there, there was the run while Casey Thompson was in what would have been eight yards for Sam was 15 to 20 yards for Casey Thompson. I want wanted to see what a truly athletic dual threat quarterback could do um, in this offense. So on that very, very, very small note, I can't stress that I'm not saying we should have kept Herman so I could see this, but I, I am saying I was sort of anticipating what what would change when Sam was no longer around. Okay, to be fair, the best offense we've had was 2018, and that doesn't work with a shiftier guy because it was just Sam running over people on third and third and short repeatedly all year long um but i can certainly understand and if sark is the guy you know he's shown the ability to have a dynamic offense and really put all of his weapons to use uh that might be kind of the best the best outcome here with the sark hire is keep the defensive staff have a good defense leave that side of the ball alone um and then have a guy that can actually come in and do proper self-scouting and play to your player's strengths which does include you know casey thompson racing downfield um if he sees the matchup with the linebacker just let him go that kind of thing i i think there's enough reason for optimism between casey thompson between especially Bijan robinson um especially if it is a guy like sarkeesian if he can bring that effectiveness from alabama not that i'm expecting us to have the 2020 alabama offense next year in in austin but 
if he can maximize the talent we have, um, and, and I think we've discussed this at length privately multiple times, um, about especially while we were watching the college football playoff games these past few days, how far off are we from being able to contend with those teams? Is it a matter of we don't have the talent to keep up? Is it purely the coaching that's not keeping up? Uh, if, if Steve Sarkeesian can bring that offense along, a lot of those philosophies, a lot of those strengths, and that ability to take advantage of your best players and use your best players effectively, uh, I mean, I think we could find out how far off we really are at least on the offensive side of the ball from being able to contend mm-hmm. at that level or at least play for the Big 12 title consistently. Yeah, it's, well, it's funny because on the one hand, like you watch Alabama and you watch Ohio State yesterday and you're like, oh my God, we are so far away. And then you look at the flip side of the coin, you see Notre Dame and you see Clemson, you're like, you know, we could get blown out by Alabama too. <laughs> like, we're not that far. Um, mm-hmm. So it's... It certainly is a mix of all the factors you listed. Um, there's, and I think that the good news, if you look at the guys, like who who on this team would have competed to start or at least be in the two day Alabama this year, and I think that you point at um, an obvious guy, Joseph Osai. Then you look at Chris Brown, Taquan Graham, some of the other guys that are going pro, like probably at least rotate in on some of these teams, you know. Uh, but then after that, I think that the guys that jump out to me are Alfred Collins and B. John Robinson. So a lot of our guys that are those championship types are some of our young guys um, and some of the guys that we expect to be here and be really key centerpieces for our team moving forward. Um, and we got to see a lot of youth on display against Colorado. Yep, absolutely. And again, don't want to overemphasize what we saw against Colorado other than it's enough to give you some hope. We're not expecting Casey Thompson to come in and have 50% of his completed passes be touchdowns. We're not expecting Bijan Robinson to average 18 yards a touch or whatever it was. Not Although every he was team halfway there for the season. He was halfway there for <laughs> the season. Over so eight yards a carry. It's not unfair to have extremely high expectations of this offense for next season as long as the next coach if it's Sark or whoever as long as they get a good offensive coordinator it's not hard to get really excited about what we saw against Colorado dreaming of what what could happen if we have a coach who finally takes advantage of the talent that he has available for him yeah I mean we were really excited about the offense at the start of this year right you're such coming in the idea is the defense is going to be inconsistent, but if they can show some improvement over the course of the year with David Ash, which they did. <laughs> um, Chris Ash, then, not David Ash. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Chris Ash. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh, so then the idea was, like, you pair that with an elite offense with Sam slinging the ball around. Um, now with Casey Thompson, there's a little bit more, I think, of a belief in the fact that that could be possible next year. Um, Sark's first job, Sark or whoever, their first job, I think, is just going to be doing some proper self-scouting and recruiting some of these players to returns. Like, there have been reports of some portal flirta- flirtation uh, promiscuousness with, you know, Jake Smith and Keontae Ingram, and those guys. Even though some people are a little bit disillusioned after kind of like Bijan's breakout party or I don't know, just Jake Smith's inconsistency, um, those guys are real weapons. So I'm hoping that we can keep them in the fold because you just want to keep your talent. You want as much talent as possible at your disposal. Um, so if we can do that, develop an outside receiver threat, 
Troy O'Meary comes back from injury, then yeah, there's absolutely hope for the offense next year. Um, and even the offensive line, the position that I think a lot of people have really pointed to is the weakness on this team moving forward. Uh, I think everybody that started in the Alamo Bowl is returning next year because you had Karich yep. at left tackle, Angle out left guard, Majors at center, Tyler Johnson kind of coming out of nowhere to start at right guard, and then Okafor was at right tackle, right? No, Christian Jones. No. Yeah, Christian Jones. Okay, yeah, right Christian tackle. Jones, that's right. Yeah, so that's, um, you know, that's a lot of your youth on the offensive line. All those guys are here for at least, they should all be here for at least two more years. I think Angulao is technically draft eligible next year. Um, but you would expect all of them for, to be here for at least two years. So, you know, you saw some talent on display. You saw lots of development that needed to happen. Um, like I think Jake Majors, for all the promise and praise he's getting, that dude needs to <laughs> that dude needs to develop some core strength, and that's kind of been something that we've known about him as a recruit. And obviously, as a true freshman, it's totally understandable that you're not quite at the collegiate athlete level. But he could be really good if he can stop getting, you know, push back three yards <laughs> on yeah, a fairly and, consistent basis. And if we want to throw another wrinkle in there, uh, Derek Kerstetter hasn't gone public mm-hmm. with his intentions as far as whether or not he's going to return, as he is eligible to return with the uh, special rules thanks to COVID. Um, about eligibility this season, Kerstetter could be back. Yeah. So you bring Kerstetter, just looking at that, left to right, even in the Alamo Bowl, it seemed obvious, um, that Christian Jones at right tackle was still the weak link. If you bring Kerstetter back, you kick him back out to right tackle, you give Jake Majors an entire offseason of developing, getting that chemistry with Casey Thompson, getting the new offense going. I mean, that... You have one senior on that line. Otherwise, everyone's underclassmen there, effectively. And you have an opportunity to do something. You have an opportunity to build a pretty solid offensive line over time, give Christian Jones more time to learn at right tackle without throwing him to the wolves again. But, yeah, putting putting Kerstetter out there on the right side, Carrick, I think, is looks far more ready than any true freshman left tackle should have looked. Um, yeah, Angelau <laughs> is a known quantity at, at left guard. He can be up and down, but that's something that yeah, and he had a strong ultimately finish this cons- season. Yeah, and ultimately consistency is something that comes with experience. Those are what that's what you expect from young talented guys. Ultimately, is you expect them to have flashes where they're really really good and really really bad. You just need that trend line to to consistently work closer towards consistently really really good and minimize those really really bads. And I think. Angelau is trending positively. He can be that good. Majors, the true freshman, obviously, build some strength during the winter conditioning, uh, spring practice, get all that stuff going. Uh, Tyler Johnson, yeah, absolutely gives a lot of uh, a lot of hope there because I think the the biggest thing for Tyler Johnson is I didn't notice him in the Alamo Bowl, which for offensive linemen, I think especially for the interior guys, if no one says your name. You did your job. No one's going, what the fuck is Tyler Johnson doing? Mm-hmm. You didn't really see that in the Alamo Bowl. So I think there's enough pieces there to where the offensive line gives you a lot of hope. Casey Thompson gave you a lot of hope. Bijan Robinson is basically the epitome of hope for this offense. And then from there, yeah, Troy O'Meary. And then, I mean, Alvante Woodard showed up pretty big. Casey Thompson seemed to like throwing to Woodard. You like throwing to Josh Moore. A lot of guys, again, who are going to be back next year. So there's parts and pieces to work with. We just need to really find a staff 
that can maximize those parts and pieces so we really know what we have. Mm-hmm. And there's always the caveat, just like there was a couple weeks ago with Kansas State, oh, it's just Colorado. Um, but this is what we've been asking for the entirety of Tom Herman's senior, right? To beat the teams that you're supposed to beat and actually go out and beat them. Don't win by a field goal. Um, so I think that the fact that we're saying, oh, but it's just Colorado in the wake of a blowout is a positive, right? <laughs> um, that's that's an improvement <laughs> uh, from, from much of what we've had to deal with. Um, so yeah, overall positive. Uh, I think the defense has, has been pretty stout throughout the year. You've got young guys coming in. You had Jalen Ford and DeMarvin Overshone at linebacker. Every I think everybody that started on defense is returning next year, I'm pretty sure, because all the guys that are going pro actually opted out and didn't didn't play, and they still looked pretty good. Um, it's a little bit weird to give up that many points to a Colorado team that has a quarterback that just played as poorly as Sam Neuer did. Um, but hey, that, like, is, that is all Pac-12 second-team quarterback Sam Neuer to you, which I think really is just an indictment on the quarterback play in the Pac-12 this year because he was atrocious. He was, yeah, he was really bad. Um, so it's a little bit weird if you just look at the score. Like if you just look at the 24 points given up, it's a little bit weird. It's like, wait, how do we give up 24 points to a Colorado team with Sam Neuer? Um, but then, like on rewatch, there wasn't anything that really stood out to me as totally egregious. Like the cornerbacks didn't play particularly well. Our zone had some holes in it. Um, I think some of that though is due to the youth, right? Like I think that there were some, uh, like some of the runs, the linebackers didn't quite attack as fiercely as they should have. It's like they were in the right spot, but they were a little bit hesitant. And some of that can translate to the zone defense as well. Um, and so that's kind of the thing where, as they build confidence, as they get up to speed. Uh, they can be a little bit more decisive and a little bit, you know, trust that first step more. Um, so it it was a good performance kind of all around the Colorado, not in the Colorado Bowl, in the Alamo Bowl, um, back-to-back champs. <laughs> oh, God. Um, back-to-back Alamo Bowl, just like Shaka got two years in a row as the defending NIT champions. It's, oh. it's all good, baby. Oh, man. Hey, and you know what? If the football team can build off of that NIT championship like the basketball team did, not sure the current score, but I know whenever we were throughout the recording, last, we've been up double digits on Kansas. Last I uh, checked, we were up by 21. Oh, my God. Dude, Natty, here who knew, we come. Who knew that Natty, Tom, here we come. <laughs> who knew that Tom Herman was actually the one holding basketball back the entire time? Yeah. Um, so, you know, football team, all we're asking is that you, you perform like our basketball program. We're basketball school. And football, if you could just catch up, will be golden. Ironically, for how many people have wanted to fire Shaka for the past couple of years, it, it, it does sort of bring up the question of, well, what happens if you did just stick around with Tom Herman for long enough? What if you just kept waiting? What happens? Because <laughs> that's ultimately what we did. Like, Shaka benefited, like, if, if we, if the University of Texas cared about basketball like they care about football, Shaka would have been gone two, three years ago. Shaka's what Shaka got worked working out for him is that ultimately, like no matter what happens, the football team could go winless and football will still be the focus over basketball. So he benefited from not having the attention. You don't have boosters uh, jumping on you every five seconds. You don't have the the whole media circus, really. Like no other coach at Texas has to deal with the media circus that the head football coach coach does. But he benefited from patience as a result of that not being 
the focal point of the entire athletic department. Um, so it not again, not defending, not saying we should have kept Herman, anything like that, but it is an interesting data point to go, well, sometimes patience can be rewarded. And hopefully that's something that we might be able to give the next staff it, or hopefully it's something where we don't even have to talk about patients because this time next year we're Big analyzing. Chance, well, baby. <laughs> well, no, this time next year we're analyzing like, man, what do we got to do to beat Alabama since we're playing them again in the fall of 2022? Uh, might as well play them in the spring of 2022 too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be really funny if the, uh, the Alabama um, head-to-head becomes a best of three. Uh, here's hoping. Uh, oh, best of five. Best of, yeah. uh, <laughs> so let me, let me, in the final, in the wake of Tom Herman, RIP, let me go and turn around the Shock of Smart point on you and say that I think that Shaka succeeded for the same reason that we saw Herman fail. And that is because I think that whenever Shaka got here, this isn't a basketball podcast. People should go listen to pretend we're football. They want real basketball analysis, right? But Shaka kind of struggled because he was trying to build his roster around Mo Bamba um, and all these other like big one and duns, right? Jared Allen, these guys who he didn't ever have access to at VCU where he was kind of like a four-year player coach, right? Like build up your program over time, um, build up a roster to really the way that you like it. Uh, so I think that Shaka struggled because he was trying to be something that he wasn't. But then over the last year and a half, he's kind of gotten back to that whole model of build up like your senior guards. You have Matt Coleman, you have Courtney Rainey, who have been here multiple years and are comfortable with the system and leading it. Um, sure, you have Greg Brown as well, and that's kind of, but he's really the, the icing on the cake, right? He's not the actual cake itself. Whereas Tom Herman got here and was able to kind of get off to the races in 2018. But then why did he struggle? It's because he fell back into his old ways. Whereas Shaka's old ways are what is really leading him to success now. It's kind of the opposite for Herman. He became like stale and predictable as a coach. He started playing favorites with players and not really allocating touches correctly on offense, right? Um, and I think that a lot of this, the parts of himself that he embraced kind of led to some of the struggles that we're experiencing now. Um, so that would be my... I don't know if I'm trying to come up with a really beautiful metaphor for the two pro <laughs> for the two <laughs> programs. That's kind of where I land with it. Is it's just shock embraced himself and was able to bring out the best parts of his beliefs uh, to lead to success. Whereas Herman, whenever he began to struggle, kind of fell on to some of the worst parts and kind of exacerbated those struggles. Yeah, that's definitely a fair assessment. I think of Tom Herman versus Shaka Smart. Uh, but otherwise, I think that about covers all our news. We went through National Signing Day. I don't know what exactly we were doing as far as just general podcast business. We recorded two episodes for the last two games of the season, talking about uh, Kansas State and was it Iowa State before that. I mean, we talked about everything. We just never posted, never edited, never posted it. So this is a break as far as us remembering to post, but... Uh, We'll, we'll try not to do this. Hopefully next season won't be so apathetic. Um, otherwise, heading into the offseason, I think the the goal in general for the podcast will be posting roughly once a month. Um, exactly what that looks like yet, I don't know. If that's just sort of touching up on any news that the program's gone through. 
Um, I imagine January is going to be interesting with a new head coach coming in, um, possibly very shortly. Um, with that staff coming on, there's going to be a lot to talk about, so we might still be making semi-regular podcasts for the next little bit, at least until the second National Signing Day for the 2021 class. But, yeah, otherwise we're, we're just going to play it by ear, see what we can do if we... Maybe we pull some guests on here or something just to talk during the off season to give us something have to Steve talk about. Sarkeesian I guess. On. Um, have Steve Sarkeesian on. I know I saw a uh, tweet from Kyle Umlong saying he was trying to be on twice as many podcasts as he was this year. That was one of his 2021 New Year's resolutions, which is a super big ego thing as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I, I'm not saying that we're going to go go out and get Kyle, but. Um, yeah, just no, I think it would be the cool idea. to have some guests just, on. Yeah, some crossover it, it, episodes. I know I got to go back and watch Alabama because I don't really watch them all that often, but I certainly got to go figure out what we're going to be doing. So maybe we can have a yeah, like a podcast breaking down Sark and what he brings on offense. Um, yeah, something like that. Having guests, just get bringing some flavor in the offseason. During the, during the season, that structure of trying to follow one a week or something can be difficult to want to bring guests in. We also have to figure out how to make three people work on a podcast instead of two because the editing ends up becoming significantly more difficult when it's multiple people. But a lot of options for what we can do this offseason. So if nothing else, Kyle's tweet inspired me to think about potential people that we'd want as guests, whether that's if we want to drag people over from the other Horns cast podcast, whether or not Will Bazer comes on to the Tom Herman podcast, whether or not, I don't know, Steve Sarkeesian comes onto the podcast. Who knows? Um, maybe that'll be something we try and work on this offseason, see if we can build some of those relationships, see if we can pull some guests on to have interesting conversations about Texas football. I don't know if you can hear my dog in the background there chewing on a bone, but she has to wait until I'm recording something before she decides she's going to be loud. She's been asleep nearly the entire time, so... Yeah, my dog is, I don't think he's asleep, he's just laying very still. <laughs> <laughs> he's breathing, he's breathing, though. though. He, okay. He's breathing, <laughs> I will clarify that, he is breathing, he's just, uh, oh yeah, his ear just twitched, he hears me talking about him. Um, yes, he's very chill, very mellow. <laughs> anyway, I think that does it for this episode, I think we're going to hop off, maybe catch the end of this Texas basketball game, see if we end up jinxing him into collapse. Uh, with a big league, big lead in Lawrence, Kansas. Otherwise, we will see you in the off season. See you as Steve Sarkeesian starts filling out his staff. Uh, it'll get kind of random, but we'll see what happens. Uh, otherwise, hopefully everyone has a happy new year. Uh, enjoy the ride. Try not to get driven too crazy by the ridiculousness that is a coaching search. Um, yeah, and follow us uh, on Twitter at, at the FSS podcast right now. I might have jumped the gun. I've got the new cover on there. I changed the podcast name, changed the handle and everything. But follow us on Twitter. We'll be posting along, uh, making bad jokes and saying things that could get us in trouble potentially <laughs> if get too too carried away. Um, also on Instagram, same, same handle as Twitter, uh, where I try to remember that I have that Instagram and post pictures. So... Um, yeah, just keep up with us and, uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Hook 'em.